You've heard the scripture lesson read this morning. The title of the sermon today is the, A Great Church is Focused. A Great Church is Focused. I don't know if you bring one of these into worship, but I suspect that many of you have one. It's a cell phone. A few years ago, I switched over to what I believed was the dark side and, 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 and got an apple. And uh, I love it. Uh, I then began to research the product a little bit. I found out that uh, Steve Jobs created the Apple Macintosh uh, company in 1985. They uh, asked him to leave. Apparently, politeness and gentleness was not in his repertoire. And so they asked him to leave in 1985. And so for 12 years after that, 12 straight years after that, the company suffered financial losses every single year. And in 1997, they wisened up and they invited Steve Jobs to come back to the company so that he could run the program, run the company. And one of the first things that Steve Jobs is quoted as saying when he came back is that if we want to prosper as a company, if we want to be healthy as a company, we've got to get out of doing a lot of the things that we're doing. And so some estimates are that he did away with 70% of the things that the Apple company was focusing on at that time. And he said, we're going to focus on four things. We're going to focus on computers. We're going to focus on phones. We're going to focus on music. And we're going to focus on videos. And we're going to let everything else go. I looked. And at the end of 2017, after all of the numbers had been crunched, Apple is the most profitable company in the world. And it started again in 1997 when Steve Jobs said, we've got to focus. We've got to pick out what is our responsibility, what is our job, what do we want to do well, and focus on that. And I want to suggest to you that in order for a church to be great, which is what we've been talking back over, about over the last several weeks, if we're going to be the church that God desires for us to be, it's going to require us to be focused. To be focused on that which God has called us to do and to be. And I think that where Jesus began to crystallize what that focus should be was not actually in the Scripture this morning, but it occurs at the end of Matthew's Gospel. We're told that the disciples go up on this mountain. And a lot of scholars believe that the mountain that the disciples gathered on was the same mountain where Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus transfigured earlier in his ministry. And I hope you've lived long enough that you have had a mountaintop experience. Because once you've had a mountaintop experience, you just cherish that experience for the rest of your life. And what you'll find when you've had one of those mountaintop experiences is that you want to go back to where you experienced the mountaintop. And the reason why you want to go back to the mountaintop where you experience that holy moment is number one, you want to remember what happened in the past. But let's face it, you're also hoping 
that the same sort of mountaintop experience that you experienced in the past might be possible and even probable in the present. And so if it is this mountain where Jesus was transformed before them, then it makes sense that they would go back there because that was a holy moment for them. And they wanted to remember what it was like, but they also wanted to anticipate that maybe, just maybe, it could happen again in the present. And Jesus shows up. And it's as if Jesus knew, and I think He did, that He was about to ascend into heaven, and that He needed to make sure that the people that He left behind had a clear focus about what they were supposed to do after He ascended. And so He said to them, all authority has been given to Me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. And remember, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Great churches know what their focus is supposed to be. And if we are going to be a great church, if we are a great church, if we want to continue to be a great church, we must be mindful that we are to make disciples. But here's what I've learned. You can't teach other people what you haven't learned. It's hard to make a disciple if you're not sure what a disciple is. It's not sure to give what you don't already possess or have. And so it's important for us if we're going to make disciples, if that's going to be the church's primary focus, that we need to take a self-inventory and see if we are disciples. How are we doing at that? What does it look like? How can we get better at it? And that's why I've chosen the Scripture lesson for today. It occurs actually before Jesus gives this great commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, But it is a story, I think, that sort of gets at what it might look like, what our focus should be. Now, this is a parable, and parable comes from the Greek word parabol, or at least that's how we say it in Pulaski, I don't know, parabol. And what that word means is it's usually, it means literally to be tossed aside. And when you read about a parable in the Bible, there's a couple of things that you're supposed to be mindful of. Number one, parables are oftentimes metaphors or similes, and they're open to lots of different interpretations. In fact, when you read a parable in the Gospel, oftentimes you're more confused after you read it than you were before you read it. In fact, Jesus even speaks to that in the text this morning when He says, I tell parables so that none of y'all will know what in the world I'm talking about. But the goal, I think, of a parable is that it's supposed to use a common element of life, maybe even nature, and it's supposed to get us to think. It's not supposed to immediately lead us to one potential interpretation, 
But it might be that it means lots of different things for lots of different reasons and for lots of different people. And so I chose this story this morning to sort of illustrate that point. Jesus, this is one of the parables where Jesus actually goes on to tell us what he thinks we ought to get from the parable. And so he tells this story, and I can just imagine, because I think this is probably the way Jesus worked. He's trying to help this group focus itself, and he's looking for a good example or illustration. And he just happened to be in a place where there was no Wi-Fi connection. He couldn't get a signal. And so I suspect that Jesus just began looking around, trying to find an object lesson from somewhere nearby. And maybe he sees this farmer just off in the distance who's sprinkling seed. And Jesus says, ah, there we go. There's my story. And so he tells those that are gathered there in front of him, a farmer was sowing seed. And some of the seed fell on the path. And some of the seed fell on rocky ground. And some of the seed fell on thorny ground, and some of the seed fell on really good soil. And then Jesus goes on to tell us what all of that means. He says that when you throw seed onto the path, you know, a path, if you've ever been hiking, that's where everybody walks. Most people stay on the path. And so as a result, the path becomes almost as hard as concrete, or some sort of rough surface. And so if you toss seed there, it's not going to be able to penetrate that hardened ground. And what's inevitably going to happen is either birds are going to come and and eat the seed or take the seed away, or the seed is just going to be crumpled underfoot to the point that it cannot grow anything. It never makes it into the ground. And so sometimes seed falls on ground such as that. And then he says that some seed falls on rocky ground. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it meant that there was nothing but rocks there. But I suspect that it might mean a lot of what we find here in Middle Tennessee. A lot of times you'll see what appears to be a layer of dirt, but just right below the surface of dirt is just a big old slab of limestone. And so you can plant a seed in that dirt, And it might even begin to sprout a little bit, but because of that limestone that's just below the surface, the seed can't, the seed's roots don't grow deep enough to find nourishment and sustenance. And so while it may grow a little bit, and while it may grow for a while, it doesn't have the roots to sustain it, and so it dies too. And sometimes that's what happens. And then he talks about this thorny um, ground. You can throw a seed off into that ground and obviously it'll grow stuff because it's already growing thorns and weeds. But if you don't keep the other stuff from crowding out the good stuff, the thorn and the weeds will end up taking over the good stuff, even strangling it, even sucking some of the nutrients that the good stuff needs in order to be vibrant and to grow into what it was intended to be. And it dies And so it seems that what Jesus is saying here is that the Word of God is like a seed 
and it's thrown on lots of different soil. And the success of that seed, whether it'll ever grow into something really great, what it was intended to be, depends upon the soil that you use. And so maybe one interpretation of the parable is just to simply ask ourselves, how is your soil? How is your soil? You know, you can go online and you can Google uh, how to evaluate your soil or how to improve your soil. And there's actually steps that you can do. You need to figure out, number one, what kind of soil is it? What, what's it made of? How good is it? Test the pH balance of it. And then you can begin to do things to the soil in order to make it better. And so maybe that's the focus of the parable for us. If we want to make disciples, if we want to share the good news of God's Word with the people around us, then we have to be sure that it's growing within us. That the soil is producing a great crop, a great fruit. And then we can share it with others. But remember... I told you that there are always a lot of different interpretations to a parable. Usually they don't just mean one thing. And so I want to give you one more possible interpretation of the story of the parable. Maybe in order to be a great church, we need to be mindful that not everything we toss seeds on is going to produce fruit. If you've ever led a small group study and you worked for weeks planning that small group study and the Sunday came that you were going to do it and only two or three people showed up, you get discouraged. You get despaired. When the needs of a congregation uh, outnumber the volunteers in the congregation, it's easy to get discouraged. If you've got the best sermon you've ever preached in your life and 30 minutes before church starts, the bottom drops out and two inches rain in 30 minutes like it did last Sunday. <laughs> it's really easy to get discouraged and to be despaired. And so what if Jesus in this parable is saying this? I know you disciples are discouraged. I know I'm not the kind of Messiah that you envisioned. I know that people are running us out of town almost as soon as we arrive in town. I know we're encountering opposition at every turn and people are already even planning to take my life. And I know that's bound to leave you discouraged. And it's bound to leave you disappointed. So I want to tell you a little story. There's a farmer, he's got some seed, and he's sowing it, and he's throwing it on the path, and it's not going to grow there, and he's throwing it in the rocky ground, and it won't grow there for long, and he's throwing it in the thorns and the weeds, and eventually that too might get strangled out, but every once in a while, he hit some good soil. And just because the farmer threw soil on a path and on rocks and in thorns that didn't grow, the farmer never gives up sowing seed. The farmer just keeps on throwing it. Because every once in a while, it's going to fall in the right kind of soil. And God's going to do something great.
So maybe what you need today is to evaluate your soil. Or maybe you come here today really discouraged and despairing because you're really trying and you're just not seeing the fruit that you thought you'd see. And what Jesus is saying is just keep on sowing. Keep on sowing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.